everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you on Front Row Knowles. Keith, still grinning from ear to ear, I see. Two in a row. Two in a row. Is it a trend? We'll see. I'm taking the W this week, too, so it's three in a row. There you go. Now, are you going to go out on the limb for UMass, or in light of earlier circumstances this year, we can't go out on that limb yet? Uh, I don't have a tree left anymore. I cut it down, so there's no limb to even go out on. Yeah, so we'll just stick to two, and we'll take the bye week, and we'll count that one as well. Correct. You and I had a uh, chance to connect on this already, and I don't think our opinions have changed. I think they've only been reinforced maybe as I've reflected more. It really was, save for the first drive and, you know, two drives by North Carolina, really just the first drive. They held them to a field goal on the next one, right? Or maybe I have that backwards field goal, first drive, touchdown the next. Other than that, uh, it really was dominant. It was. And and you and I talked about the fact that I, I had several people come up to me and say, well, what changed? What happened? What big difference? And as we've been talking about this entire time, it's all above the shoulders. It's all, it's not about talent. It's not about scheme. Uh, the coaches didn't forget how to coach. It's all about belief. And Coach Norvell talked about it in his, his uh, Monday press conference about confidence. Now, I'm not saying this is a team that's going to go out and, and, you know, what we what should we say now? They're going to beat Texas A&M since Texas A&M beat Alabama. But they're not going to go out and beat Georgia. They're, they're not going to make their way into the playoff system. But this is the team that is making incremental steps to get better. And the biggest part of that getting better is confidence, and confidence is above the shoulders. And that's why you can see a game like Notre Dame and then see a game that's so poor like Jacksonville State and then a dominant performance against UNC. And that's the up and down of building confidence as well as youth. Do you think the confidence is as important for every position on the field? And I ask that because in my mind it feels like the area that's played with the least confidence has been the secondary. And now they seem to have more confidence and are getting better results, but maybe that's unfair. And maybe it's equal for every position on the field. It, 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 the secondary is a little bit different because we've talked about, and our listeners are familiar with the fact that, you know, the secondary is kind of a screwy position from the standpoint that you can't have a memory because if you're going to play man coverage, you're going to get beat every now and then, you know, uh, we got the baseball playoffs going on now. I'm not sure a cornerback that hits 300, is a good cornerback, but a cornerback's not going to hit a 1,000. And so what you've seen there is the ups and downs that are inherent in that position. What I have liked is that that, uh, Coach Fuller has played some of the youngsters, and they have performed. And and that that is a big confidence boost, not only for those that are performing, but it's a little bit of that carrot stick uh, for the upperclassmen. All right, If I want to keep some playing time or get more playing time, i got to up my game. 
And that goes back to the things that we've talked about that Florida State excelled at during the dynasty years. That the, you know, the biggest competition was on the practice field, not on the game field. To me, so the obvious biggest difference, I guess we'd say, is the offensive line is playing better. And that's because they have all their parts back. They're, they're, they're healthier. Healthy. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, so in turn, Jordan Travis has more time to throw. And Jordan played great, too, and we can do a whole segment talking about him. But what I was going to say offensively that we haven't seen in a number of years, when's the last time we played a football game and there weren't any drops by the receivers? And not only were there not drops, there were quality catches that you might not have scored a drop if they didn't hold on to it. Correct. Uh, That toe tap on the sideline on that long third down, uh, was that Keyshawn Pelton, Mm -hmm. uh, was remarkable. Uh, And I thought – as you mentioned previously, echoing that Jordan threw the ball much better, and they put him in situations where he had to get the ball downfield, not just boots and rollouts. Um, and then that's amazing because, you know, you and I have heard quietly that uh, Jordan has missed a lot of practice time. He's, he's rumored to have been, you know, in a boot here, there, and yawn and <clears throat> held out of practice with a knee issue and had the flu one day or something and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And for him to step in and play that well with what I would only assume only Coach Norvell would and Coach Dillingham could admit to, but what I would assume is somewhat limited practice time is a remarkable accomplishment for a very young, still very young player. What do you think about his demeanor, Keith? And I ask it because of this. When I now I've talked to him post game the last two weeks, obviously that's after victories, but he's always smiling. And I presume that's kind of his demeanor in the huddle too. Now, if you get sacked for a loss eight, I realize you're not going to wake up, you know, get up smiling necessarily. Um, but it seems to be his disposition on the field. And I would think that it sets his teammates at ease uh, on top of the, the the talent that he obviously has. There were several times in the television broadcast when he had huge smiles on his face during plays and after plays. And it even looked like, you know, he doesn't have a reputation of being a trash talker at all, but there looked like times when he was making comments to the Carolina players or reacting to comments that the Carolina players had made. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. Uh, yes, that, that is a calming effect, you know, but you've got to remember both of us, you know, we're products of watching Charlie Ward. And, you know, most of the time we thought Charlie was asleep. You know, he not only he did he not get too low, he didn't get too high either. He was as close to that median as could be. So we're we're a little bit spoiled in that regard. Uh, but yeah, uh, he he obviously has a demeanor about him where he enjoys playing the game, he enjoys the competition, and that is contagious. So Florida State gets a much needed off week. They got back on the practice field uh, well today and tomorrow. Uh, got a couple days off, much needed. You know who we didn't give any time off to? Our good friend Bob at the Osceola. He's still got to grind, and it includes visiting with us every week. Should we make him do that next segment? Well, you got to remember he works for Jerry, who was the original founder of the Osceola, then got rid of it, went to the Boosters for a couple of decades, and has now acquired it back. And last time I checked, Jerry doesn't believe, if I've got the acronym right, Jerry doesn't believe in PTOs. Uh, you know, personal time off is not part of his disposition as an employer. So no, no, Bob gets no time off. Including the next segment, which he'll spend with us. Stay with us. Bob Franti from the Osceola joins us when Front Row Knowles continues. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we welcome you back and we welcome in Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hey, Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. Good, good trip to Chapel Hill. Good, great city, great campus, some good barbecue, big win for the Knowles and uh, enjoying, a, enjoying a little bit of a bye week. Just I noticed like you mentioned the barbecue first and then the win, so I've, that's duly noted. <laughs> the barbecue was was quite good and there were a lot of carolina fans there we were there hanging out with some florida state fans from all over the the carolinas jacksonville fans were there and um they were nice they were very pleasant but but there was definitely a, a sense that carolina was going to win that day and, and they, they basically told us not today florida state fans but um yeah there was that well i feel like the league office knew what was coming because they scheduled basketball media days for the middle of this week so that Carolina fans could just turn the page on football and get right back to, to the new look Tar Heels. You know, it's an interesting atmosphere. I know they get, they get the wine and cheese thing from, from Sam Cassell who's created that years and years ago, but it felt like the fan base up at Carolina was just not fired up pregame. And during the game, they tried a couple times to get the players into it. They, there was some emotion in the stands. But I think to Florida State's credit, every time Carolina climbed back in it, had a big play, had a touchdown drive, whatever, Florida State countered. And before too long, the Carolina crowd was, was backing off and, and, and heading home. It, it just was a very strange atmosphere up there for a program that started off preseason top 10, a lot of expectations with Sam Howell. And it just didn't feel like there was the fight from Carolina and, and that there wasn't really the crowd support either. It was kind of an unusual uh, set of circumstances from their end. You, you mentioned the answer. That might be one of the minor, probably hasn't been talked about enough, takeaways that this Florida State team in all three phases finally put together in a ball game. the ability to answer. There were so many things that were impressive from Saturday, and I, I keep looking back at that second quarter because I thought it was – some of the best 15 minutes we've seen from Norvell's teams, you know, not just scoring 21, but the way the defense played, the three and out, the interception, Travis Jay's return was, was a spark. I think everybody could kind of feel that was a little something early that they needed. But, yeah, the response throughout the second half, you kind of felt like Carolina was, was nipping and, and really close, even though Florida State had control of the score from that second quarter on. And I, I just felt like every time Florida State needed to make plays, they did. And, and there were some guys that you didn't always expect. I know you guys mentioned, um, you know, on Sunday, Kevin Knowles was just making play after playing for a true freshman to be leaned on and dependent on like that. Um, you know, Malcolm Ray played significant reps, and, and you wouldn't think he was going to play that many snaps. Um, but, but guys all over the field were making contributions. Baby and Johnson – sliding over to guard when it was a necessity for him to, you know, just hold up and, and help that offensive line along. We, we just saw different guys step up in certain circumstances and force it had to have all of those guys to, to make sure that they were able to, to leave with a win. Bob, it's two games in a row where Florida state's responded and maybe two and a half. If you want to look at the second half of Louisville and 
And honestly, if you go back to the Notre Dame game, they were down 18 and responded in there. So we're, we're clearly seeing that that's in this team. I guess the question is, how do we ensure that you move forward from this and you don't regress and have the, you know, the two games, I hope they prove to be outliers, but you don't have Jacksonville and state and wake forest sandwiched in between. Yeah. I think you have to lean on the leadership. You have to hope that, you know, with wins has created a desire to just get more wins, get healthy, rest up a little bit, work hard on the practice field and keep continuing pushing forward. Um, I know everybody's kind of said, prepare for Clemson. Well, don't forget about UMass. I mean, if, if Jacksonville State has taught us anything, anything can happen. I, I don't think Florida State will take UMass lightly, but some of us are in a great position to get back to, um, I, I think, a position where they're going to be happy with how they played. I think that was a big takeaway from the Monday press conferences. The coaches enjoyed watching the film. It was enjoyable to see 11 guys doing something right on film instead of, oh my goodness, there's the one or two guys who, who weren't doing it the way we coached it and the way it was supposed to be. It was very frequently 11 guys doing something right. It was very frequently the offensive line was efficient. Norvell mentioning two tackles for loss, no sacks for the first time since 2019. There's just a lot of positives. At the same time, you're hearing coaches saying, we're not happy yet. We're happy with the win. We gave a lot of guys Sunday off as a reward it's a bye week but we're not happy yet i mean that's a good attitude to have there's two cliches our listeners get tired of me i'm sure talking about one is learning how to be content but never satisfied in other words relishing in the victory but continuing to strive for excellence the other one is there's certain lessons that you can be taught and there's other lessons that you can only learn and it's certainly much easier to teach and or learn when you're doing it from film of a victory versus film of a loss. Yeah, I think, you know, some coaches have said, don't be bored by success. Don't be bored by the day-to-day. Coach Norvell has more than I think any coach of late just said, it's all about work. Kenny Dillingham saying repeatedly, there's no secret sauce. That, that, that's the Kenny Dillingham saying, there's no secret sauce here, guys. It's just work and, and keep building on each day, learning, improving. I, I think they see, I think they're, they're fueled by what the players have offered these last couple of games. Listening to Coach Norvell on Saturday, his excitement, I think, was this feels like a new team. This feels like a group that is buoyed by the positivity and has built the confidence. And what does that confidence stem from? Is it from doing well in practice and then doing it well on Saturday? And I have to think, to some extent it is. Um, we've always kind of felt like this team was capable of winning or being competitive against almost anybody if they cut out the penalties, if they limited the mistakes, if they just got on the same page and played about as well as you can expect against another opponent who's going to be really, really good. And now we're kind of seeing very few penalties, lack of turnovers, lack of sacks, which is stunning on a on a Saturday up at Carolina. We're seeing kind of what this team is capable of when when they're they're all together and performing at a high level. So to your point about being competitive, Bob, you know who's left on the schedule. Is this team at a point where they're going to be competitive with everybody that's left? 
Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to be competitive and they're going to fight to the finish. The questions that we got after Wake Forest were, was this team quitting? And, and does Mike Norvell still have this team? And I think that was just a, a byproduct of Florida State not finishing in the red zone and not getting scores that made that Wake Forest game closer. What we've seen since is this team is fighting. It, it cares both individually and, and for the, the brothers on each side. The question then becomes your, your talent on your roster does not stack up well against Clemson and probably Florida. But with Miami having a new quarterback, with BC having a new quarterback, NC State has historically been inconsistent with Dave Doran. Clemson, who knows? I'm, I'm not certainly going to project a win up there in, in a couple of weeks, but has, has just about anything happened in 2021 on the football field? And I think, I think it's shown us yes. And that's kind of why we, we go to games and we tune in because it's that unpredictability, that drama that we love about college football. How important this bye week at this particular time? I mean, there would be those that argue that it's taken away from the momentum, building upon those back-to-back losses. The other side of the coin is you get a chance to heal up. I mean, what's your position? Where do you where do you fall? Yeah, I think the media has asked that question of a lot of guys, and and a few of them said, "Sure, it'd be great to keep going, keep playing." I think the the coaches have have kind of taken the temperature of the team, and they see how much guys have fought and, and where they are from a, from an injury and from a healing standpoint. Uh, again, the players got Sunday off. There was no kind of light practice. It was all about treatment. Monday's a typical rest day, Tuesday back on the practice field, Wednesday back on the practice field. It, it's, it's going to be a lighter week, but, but not lacking in, in getting good work done. It's getting, I think Norvell has, has kind of thought it's, it's going to be a fundamental week. So, maybe more of a kind of preseason camp type of practice. I think it's good timing. Offensive line has got to get as healthy as possible. Um, I think we know historically offensive linemen by week one or, or two, you're, you're, something is, is hurting, something is ailing. You're, you're fighting through um, some kind of injury, multiple injuries. These guys need some kind of rest going into some bigger games here um, after UMass Clemson and, and November is a, a tough slate. So I, I think this is a really good time because think about it, you've gone almost nonstop through August, September, and, and now, you know, two big wins here in October. On the offensive line, Bob, everybody's had something nagging. Is it the kind of nagging that's here for the season or is the bye week going to solve it for Dylan Gibbons? And well, Robert Scott was more than nagging, but he, he's, he's made strides, you know, are they, are they going to be in that much of a better place? I think we're looking at season long injuries. Can you battle through it type of thing? And and that's, that's as much mentally as it is. Thank goodness for, for people like trainers and those in sports medicine who can help you with different therapies and, and, and cold tubs and whatnot. It, it It's going to be just guys are going to have to battle through it week after week. If they feel like they can, if they feel like they're not going to hurt themselves any worse. It's, 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 a, it's a true challenge, and it's also one of depth. There just aren't that many options for Florida State to turn to. You can't keep turning to, to true freshmen. They're just not there. They're just not ready yet. Talking with Bob Frante, our Osceola Insider, as we wrap this segment up. All right, Bob, uh, we haven't done rapid fire with you, so how many more wins is Florida State going to get? I think they've got two or three. You know, the, the caution for me is, 
Florida State hasn't beaten a rival since 2017. You got three rivalry games left. Can they get one? Can they get two? We'll see. And will Jimbo Fisher be coaching LSU next football season when FSU plays in the Dome against the Tigers? Yes, no. I think the answer is probably yes at this rate. I think we're, we're going to see LSU with an opening, and, and Jimbo might jump on it. All right, Keith and I haven't touched that one yet. We'll do so when uh, when we continue. Bob, thanks for joining us as always. Take care. He is our Osceola insider. Stay with us. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. All right, second half of the show. Was it a good locker room speech at halftime there, Keith? You feel all right for the second half? Are you in good shape? I feel I'm the cheesiest. I feel the cheesiest. <laughs> we're going to go out. We're going to go three and out on this first drive. Or we actually no, gonna, we're not. Okay. No, we're not. We're going to convert a first down and then get a holding penalty and then get a, another holding penalty. And it'll be first and 33. So I teed this up with Bob before the break and no time like now to address the topic. When Florida State plays LSU next year in the Superdome on Labor Day weekend, is Jimbo Fisher going to be the coach of LSU? Well, three things come to mind. Number one, you know, LSU's got to get rid of Coach Ed. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's a given. Uh, As Bob mentioned, however, and of course you and uh, your family are much more plugged into that. They've got a horrendous schedule. But, you know, we've seen him pull some magical things. I, I don't know that this will be one of those, um, but yes, that, that has to happen. Secondly, you know, because we don't pay attention, we don't know. I've not heard. I've not talked to anybody. There may not be anybody in Tallahassee uh, area. I, you know, how happy is Jimbo at A&M? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's been given all the resources that he thinks he wants. That was part of the issue about being uncomfortable at Florida State. We all know about his contract and his contract extension, but as you and I have talked privately, you know, there may be an opportunity or a time when he kind of swallows his pride. I mean, Sexton, his agent, to, you know, he may be willing, as Bob mentioned, to take lesser money early on and build it up because he wants to get back to LSU. And the third part goes into the second part. You and I both know that in a little bit of time we've spent with him, you glean the one area absent Florida State, and I don't know where FSU ranks in that, but the one place he always talked about was Baton Rouge. And that by far was his best place, his fondest memories of coaching. So I don't know. It makes for an interesting topic. One of the first in-depth conversations I had with Jimbo, it had to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint it as spring of 2011. And it was on a couple of his booster tour stops where I was pinch hitting for Gene. And so we were traveling together. And as you know, anybody who's been around Jimbo knows, no matter what the topic is on the table, it always goes back to football within about four minutes. Whether you're talking about your favorite meal or your favorite travel location or politics or whatever, four deer minutes. Deer hunting. He'll take deer hunting. Deer hunting. To football. Four minutes into the conversation, you're talking about X and O's and how he schemes something open and 1997 or whatever that's just that's the way he's wired but we were talking about recruiting uh or deeper than recruiting he was talking about good jobs I know what it was the Tennessee job which has been open about 
every 18 months or every two years for about the last two decades. It, it must it was open at the time. And so the, 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 the tenor of the conversation was this Tennessee is not a good job. This is him. It's, it's got all the resources, doesn't have any athletes. If you're in Tennessee, you got to leave the state. So you're always second fiddle when it comes to recruiting. You got to go to Georgia. You got to go to Florida. You got to go to other states. So it continued from there. He said, there's only two states in the country where there's one program and it's the top dog. I said, all right. He said, Ohio and Louisiana. You know which state has the most NFL players per capita in the country? I said, which one? He said, Louisiana. And then he quoted the number. And so this is the, the layer beyond financial resources, and his personal salary and all that there's the the actual players that you need on the field and he's always raved about what's in louisiana that way and he did he did as you pointed out uh i don't know if romanticize is the right word but he talked very fondly of his time in baton rouge so all that said there'll be other names in the conversation i don't know if lsu is willing to pay 10 million a year to get him there i think if if the salary was not disclosed i think jimbo would coach at lsu tomorrow for minimum wage but because there's an ego involved and people are going to know how much he's making uh, and because he is making eight or nine million a year, that'd be kind of tough to walk away from. <laughs> I, well, I just, part, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. The other part, and, and Bob alluded to it, you and I are familiar with it, but the AD at Louisiana LSU is one of his best personal friends. And don't ever, don't ever underestimate the um, stumbling block that also led to Jimbo leaving Florida state because of his inability to get along with the athletic director at the time. Well, that AD is the one who hired him at Texas A&M and gave him his original $75 million contract. So that's the guy who's sitting at LSU. right now. the other thing is this, and I don't know how Texas A&M will finish its season, Keith, but this goes back to the point that you're not the top dog in the state. So even though there's plenty of, there's plenty of student athletes in the state of Texas, Texas is still the big dog, even though they haven't been very successful at all since the one title that Mac Brown won in 05 or whatever year it was. You go to LSU. So to finish that thought about Texas A&M, what if they went out and don't make the playoff? Or what if this is the best they can do is finishing number five last year, not being in the playoff and wherever they finish this year and not being in the playoff. Well, he goes to LSU. He, he's going to think in his mind, or he's going to know in his mind that if I'm at LSU and I beat Alabama, uh, we, we're going to finish and, and, and be in the playoff. So I think that's, that could drive that decision a little bit too. Well, on the other part, you know, we talk about in today's world resources, and obviously A&M has tremendous resources, but your point is more valid. You have to have players. And I think the argument can be made that Texas A&M is not even the number two program in the state of Texas. Obviously, the Longhorns are number one, but then you've got to look at what's going on at SMU you got to look at Texas Tech. I mean, my point is there are four or five legitimate schools, and in any one year, A&M might not be number two. They might be number three. And uh, I think your point's absolutely valid. Uh, with LSU being top dog in a very talent-rich state, and now with Jimbo having a footprint in Florida and in Texas and get after those two databases or those two recruiting hotbeds, along with Louisiana, there's a lot of compelling evidence there. As I think back about that conversation, and uh, thanks for tuning in to uh, Front Row Tigers uh, for this segment, folks. We'll get back to Front Row Knowles here momentarily in our next segment, I guess. Um, I recall it was before the – remember when the West Virginia job opened 
and everybody was concerned. Would you, this was like the first flirtation Jimbo had with another school. Everybody thought, oh, he's going to go back home. And in my head, I said, I just had a whole conversation with him. And if there ain't players in the state, he ain't going. So I never had any thought that he was going there. Now, the one thing that wasn't the case when, when this conversation occurred is that Dabo had not turned Clemson into what Clemson has done over the last few years because Clemson would fit into that same bucket as Tennessee. They've got resources, but they don't have enough student athletes or enough players in the state of South Carolina. So you got to go out of the state to get them. Dabo has made that work, but I'm just, I'm just telling you what Jimbo conveyed in terms of that day. So we'll see where it lands. Let's get back to FSU in our next segment, shall we? I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm still going to need an annulment from my marriage for next Labor Day and the year after that, too, since we play them in Orlando that year. Front Row Knowles continues after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Thanks for humoring us with that last segment, uh, Keith. We can we can move it forward. I will say this is a pivotal week uh, for the Block family because my wife is taking Nolan to Baton Rouge and Tiger Stadium this weekend for the Florida LSU game. Now he's all garnet and gold. He's all in Florida State. If Edo and the Tigers find one last stand and beat the Gators this week, could get a little dicey on the home front. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing my dance, Tommy. I'm doing my dance. Yeah, I know. You don't have to do it anymore. All right, let's bring it back to Florida State. What do you think the ceiling is for Jordan Travis, Keith? You know, it's interesting because uh, the knock on him has always been he can't throw the ball downfield. And we've seen situations where that's been the case. And then we've seen other situations where he's been absolutely unbelievable. The touchdown pass. As previously mentioned, the, the catch on the sideline for third down. And then you mix in that ability to, to run. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. My frustration has always been that he seems to be nicked up all the time. We referenced that earlier, and this is practice time. Uh, he's going to go out of the game, although that didn't happen Saturday, but he's going to go out of the game for a series or a play or whatever. It's really interesting because he is a very uniquely talented individual. I was just going to interject, Keith, that the last last year, probably at this time, the conversation wasn't that Jordan Travis couldn't throw downfield. The conversation was he couldn't throw, period. Like they had a guy playing quarterback that couldn't complete the past 10 yards. Do you remember those conversations? That, we that's, had? that's fair. I'd forgotten about that, but that's fair. Yeah, we've moved past it. Literally, we had conversations about whether or not the guy could throw the football. He can throw the football, as we've seen. Now, taking the next step, and he did some of this last week, going through progressions, standing in the pocket. It's amazing how you can stand in the pocket a little longer when there actually is a pocket and it gets blocked up up front. That, that kind of helps. Funny how that works. Funny how yeah, that works. Funny how that works. Um, I, it, it's almost like, I don't think he's, you know, he's not the guy that Norvell would go get to, to, to be the poster child to run his offense. And they brought McKenzie in. They got a hotshot recruit coming in next year. And, and when everything's, you know, when the dust settles, it may be that Jordan's just so dynamic that if he can improve in these other areas, that he's got two more years after this. 
Well, we, we've judged him as a youngster. We've not given him time. You know, our memories are of Charlie Ward winning the Heisman Trophy. Our memories are not of him throwing eight interceptions in the first two games he started at FSU. Our, our, our memories of Winky are, are winning the Heisman, not throwing six interceptions against NC State in one of his early starts. Uh, so we've not given him credit for having the opportunity to mature. Um, the other part of it, though, that we can't discount is that the running game is a very, very kind complement to a quarterback. And with FSU's ability to run, that, that opens up some things. It makes those linebackers a little overaggressive. It gives you some opportunities in the intermediate routes, makes those corners a little uh, susceptible to double moves and crossing patterns. Don't ever discount that. So it's, it's all part and parcel of his improvement. I think it's a fascinating question. Now, we don't know if he'll stay healthy. And this is not to suggest that Jordan Travis is, is going to go unbeaten the rest of the way. But, it, I mean, what we saw last week at North Carolina, and we've seen it two years in a row, that's something. I mean, when he's out there and healthy, I mean, that's the best game Florida State has played in, in how long, Keith? Uh, since Jimbo and probably two years before Jimbo left. Yeah, that's what I think, too. I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough to travel with him, and there's not many times that I'm standing on the sideline in the fourth quarter. Uh, side note, wondering why Mac Brown is running the four corners offense of Dean Smith instead of an actual hurry-up offense when they're down three scores. But that's for that was a little peculiar, wasn't it? That's for front row Tar Heels to uh, to to dissect this week. Um, no, but there haven't been many times where you're standing there going, "This is this is a foregone conclusion. This is not just let's hope they hang on. This is they whip them." Right. Now uh, it is it is North Carolina. I, this does not mean that you're going to win at Clemson. Uh, I do think, though, there's opportunities. We can go back to what Bob said. He said two or three more. Miami's on to its number two quarterback. Uh, and more than that, with the with the losses they've suffered, you have to question how bought in or invested are they going to be in the process uh, under Manny. Boston College, which they've their coach has done a great job, but they're on a backup quarterback and I think a backup kicker. There, there's other opportunities out there. You hate to reference things as being your opponents are not at their best, but the reality is, as you look at games that Florida State will not be favored in, uh, Clemson, uh, NC State, Florida, those are teams that are not juggernauts right now. You know, they're not on a roll. They could get on a roll prior to the Florida State game, but they're reeling just a little bit. And maybe you catch them at the right time. As, as long as this has been going on, I'm happy to make excuses when Florida State's wins as opposed to saying, well, they got lucky. I'd just rather make excuses and take the victory. Never apologize for a win, Keith. Come on, we've been over this. Never apologize for a win. Do I have to go Um, to the board and write that 50 times? Go ahead. Go ahead. I have these. Hey, it's one thing to nitpick. It's another thing to apologize for. Just take it, turn the page, and move on, which I think this is really where the team is – that that's what's key about this week and next week. I mean, you don't have to go back very far to see where you laid an egg against a team that you should have beaten in Jacksonville state. So the, the effort against UMass should not be a slog to a 24 to seven win. It should be, you come out and you step on their throat at the start of the game. And this game is over in the second quarter. Should it not be? 
if you do less than that, it continues that um, thought process of, you know, is this really working? Are we really doing it right? You know, again, back to my earlier, earlier comment, lessons learned versus uh, lessons taught. Um, you know, if you've not learned that and therefore it has to be retaught to you again, that's probably not a real good recipe. Yeah, I do find it comical, I guess. Ironic. I'm not sure the word. When fans are saying, well, you got two weeks to get ready for Clemson, you know, spend the UMass week getting ready for Clemson. And I wonder if these are the same folks that blame the coaches for losing to Jacksonville State because they didn't get ready for Jacksonville State and they were busy getting ready for Wake Forest. Like that, that argument, that logic doesn't work. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've found out about coaches is, um, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but, you know, if Florida State staff is looking past UMass to get ready for Clemson, then they've got some intellectual problems that are going to require some remedial help with. <laughs> now, if you were number one in the country and had been beating everybody by 40 points, I could see that a little bit, but not where this program is right now. I want to go back to the point you keep hitting on in terms of them playing younger guys, Keith. When you look at the defense, now the two defensive ends that they found in the portal, I don't know that you can hit two home runs again next year like you did, but they're going to need to find some portal help at the defensive end after Keir Thomas and uh, and 11 move on. But your tackles should be back inside. The linebackers you're playing, uh, DeLoach is a redshirt sophomore, DJ Lundy is a redshirt freshman, and I know the linebackers aren't great. And then when you look at who's rotating in the secondary, Kevin Knowles, we talked about as a true freshman. Darian Jones, who had the interception, is a redshirt sophomore. Sidney Williams is a redshirt freshman. Jarvis Brownlee is a redshirt freshman. Uh, they're, they're playing young. Got Jamie Robinson, who's all over the field and just transferred in. He's a redshirt sophomore. I mean, you've got a lot of guys, and I realize somebody will transfer out. Somebody will turn pro that probably shouldn't. That can happen. But you've, your nucleus is largely very, very young. You know, again, you know, part of the reason for playing youngsters is twofold. Number one, maybe just maybe they don't have the bad habits mentally that your upperclassmen have given what's happened in their careers over the last three or four years. And number two, there is something to be said for, for youthful ignorance. You know, the, the mere fact that you still think you can play with these guys because you were a standout in high school and that hasn't been disproven yet. So there's a level of ignorance and confidence that can be troublesome, but if it's controlled and if it's appropriately um, uh, reeled in or reined in occasionally, you know, there's a twofold advantage with these youngsters that maybe you don't have with the upper class. Well, and I mentioned the guys who've played the most lately, but I mean, Travis Jay is a redshirt freshman, Akeem Dent's a redshirt sophomore, Renardo Green's a redshirt sophomore, Brandon Gant's a redshirt sophomore. Shaheen Brown is a true freshman out of Lake City. I mean, it's really just Miko Dotson that you lose there. So now they've got to build on it. They've got to build on it, or we'll be having the same conversation in two weeks, Keith, that we had about three weeks ago. So you, right. you do have to, you know, we, we've moved the bar forward as we talked about, and it doesn't mean that you're always going to be going, uh, making progress, but you just can't, you can't backtrack too much. The, the one step forward, two steps back doesn't work when you're trying to get better. Uh, to use Coach Norvell's phrase, let's just uh, let's uh, adopt the one percent rule. Let's get one percent better every day, and don't work backwards at all. 
How are you treating this open week, by the way, Keith? Did you take a few days off? I mean, what are you going to do this weekend? Uh, I have not treated this week any different than the last, I don't know, 70 or 80 weeks, Tommy. I am, uh, I am well within my game plan, and it's a 24-7, 365 operation in the Jones household. Of, of doing what? As little as I can get away with. <laughs> That's what I figured. So, uh, so unfortunately, I, I, I call you up twice a week and say, hey, it's time. I need you for an hour, right? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm willing to invest two hours. Don't ask for more. No, I won't. <laughs> I won't. Trust me. Two hours is enough. All right. Well, we'll do this again uh, next week. Obviously, uh, if you're not aware, we do a, a post-game version of this show that hits your podcast feed every Sunday. So if you don't subscribe to the podcast, go ahead and do it. It's uh, no matter the platform, you can find the Front Row Knowles podcast. And then we come your way each and every Wednesday from noon to one at uh, Real Talk Tallahassee here on 93.3. Keith, I think we're we're about done. Uh, well, we'll we'll talk some basketball next week, even though we'll be getting ready for UMass because uh, kickoff, not kickoff, tip-off days are Tuesday and Wednesday this week for men and the women, and both teams poised for what I think are going to be exciting seasons. Yeah, and the all-conference uh, predictions and preseason teams, those are coming out next week, so we can focus there. We're in that transition period, obviously, where basketball comes front and center, but uh, folks are excited about football again, as we should be. That That North Carolina game, Probably not fair to say it came out of nowhere, but it certainly was a, a pleasant surprise, I think, for most of us. And uh, we, we'll put it to bed now. We'll turn the page, and we'll do this again next week, Keith. Look forward to it. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks, as always, for tuning in right here to Front Row Knowles.